Hello and welcome to the Righteous Remnant Podcast. If you'd like to support our ministry or find out more about us, you can do so at therighteousremnant.org. All right, welcome to the Righteous Remnant Podcast. This week, I have um, a friend of mine, DQ Jamerson, who is a former pastor from Tennessee and is now a business owner here in Colorado Springs. And um, I've had some great conversations with him. I think he's a fascinating person. So thank you so much, DQ, for jumping on the podcast with me, man. Thanks for having me, man. It's an <laughs> honor to be here. <laughs> so, DQ, you, um, well, first of all, does DQ stand for something? I forget. It is for DeQuade. Okay. So, DeQuade. yeah. Sweet. Mm-hmm. And um, you have a really interesting um, story. I would love for you to just share a little bit of your story um, with my listeners because there's a lot of things we could talk about that have to do with everything that you've been through in your life. Yeah, most definitely. So, my story, man, I was um, born uh, to a biological mom who was 14 years old and um, in Michigan. And we, when I was four, moved to Tennessee. But uh, around the age of three, my uh, mom's boyfriend began sexually molesting me. Um, and that happened from three to about five. And then um, I was taken and put into the foster system. I lived in a few places um, in the foster system. I was moved around several times. And um, there was this one home I lived at for a year where my foster brother, he molested me that entire year. And um, so after that, you know, he was put away for a while. And I went on to the next place where um I met this woman and she adopted me and gave me her last name, Jimerson. And um, she raised me and she had four kids already grown and she wanted more. So she adopted three boys and, um, you know, but I had already been through a lot of trauma even before six years old. And so it was something that was in a sense, um, detrimental to my mind because I also struggled with ADHD as a child and I still do today and so it was constant thoughts and uh, depression and all these different things mixed in with uh, being super hyper as a child which led um, you know to in middle school my um, mom she we went to this church about the church and um, I remember I, I think she was kind of catching on to some vibes and all these things. And, and she said uh, that I needed to sit down with the pastor. Um, and he sat me down and talked with me. Um, and I was going to therapy during that whole time that I, uh, when she adopted me. But um, they let me know that they did not want me to go down the trail of homosexuality Um, and I remember thinking, you know, back then I can't be gay. Um, if I am gay, then I'm a disappointment, especially back then in the black community that was not accepted, you know, as much as it is today, there were all the advocates, you know, that we see in in the liberal agenda today. And, um, So I I really, uh, in middle school, when I came on to these sexual desires and all these things, I said, you know, either I need to die or I need to somehow turn the other way. And so um, I tried my best, you know, to live in a lifestyle of um, just being a straight male. Um, and I tried to do everything right. Um, I did try to commit suicide once due to some uh, depression, but at the end of the day, you know, I was just way too scared to harm myself in any way. Um, and it turned out to, after middle school, you know, me living in this lie, people thinking, you know, and, and I was a pretty well-known dude in high school. I had a lot of friends, you know, I was the class clown. Um, and, you know, in high school, it wasn't a, um, a thing of, 
I need to tell everyone, but inside of me, I felt like if I don't tell someone, I'm going to scream because I'm not really good at keeping secrets. I hate lying. Um, and so I, man, I told my best friend and from there, we told the entire school and it was not the impression that I thought it would be. I thought, you know, all of my friends were going to hate me and all these things, but I actually got a lot of love. And, um, but the thing about that lifestyle is I never chose it. Um, I felt like through all of the molestation um, that happened to me, that formed, you know, something in me in my earlier years. And for me, I've always said, I always had dreams, you know, being in high school and middle school that I would have a wife, kids and a farm. Um, and, you know, it, it, it was crazy to me that I couldn't, that something so innocent was taken from me. But at the same time, I, I did not know Jesus yet. We went to church, but my family, you know, like every other Christian down South, um, you know, everybody go to church and, you know, everybody call themselves a Christian. And so it wasn't, it wasn't the fact that I did not know Jesus. I just had not been exposed to him yet. Um, and so my, you know, when I came out, my mom, she came to me and said, I'm going to go straight to hell for what I'm doing and all these things. And, you know, that pushed me more into um, the realm of sexual immorality um, and doing whatever I wanted to do. Um, and I just lived it up. I had a job. I made good money and I would spend it on drugs and all these things. Um, and it was probably my senior year where I really struggled the most with depression and I just wanted a way of escape. I wanted to be free because at the end of the day, like I said, I didn't want to be gay. I felt like that was forced upon me, um, due to being molested for three years. And so, um, you know, that in a sense formed how my brain thought love was. Um, and so my senior year, man, I struggled for three months in hard depression and, um, you know, it was not fun. Um, but I was hanging out with a friend after the three months was over, I kind of gave up and I just said, I'm going to just live. If, if this is what God wanted me to be, then I'm just going to live it. Um, and, after three months, a friend came to my house and we were hanging out and she just said, DQ, do you know that Jesus did not make you that way? Cause I was telling her what I had been going through and, um, and I was confused why she was saying that. Cause I did not know she was a Christian, <laughs> you know? And, um, but, um, what she said to me really resonated with me, even though in that moment I was a little offended, I still felt like what she said, what she was saying to me was truth. And it had been the first glimpse of hope for me that I've, that I had had in a long time. Um, and not even to mention, you know, I said earlier that I'm ADHD, but when I was, you know, younger in high school, middle school, I took Adderall. And it completely changed my behavior, how I felt. Um, on the days that I didn't take it, I was the, you know, the happy uh, dude who can talk to anyone. But on the days that I took it, I, I was like a zombie. And so it added to the depression. Um, but I went to this young lady's church the next week and um, the pastors there, they, uh, the pastor, he was preaching that morning and uh, he he started talking, well, he was on a topic and then it changed like 15 minutes into his sermon and he starts talking about how there's freedom for those who struggle with homosexuality. And it was amazing to me because I'm, I, this is really the first time I had really felt the presence of God um, but in that moment, the Lord orchestrated this entire sermon 
that way I could, you know, encounter him on that day, you know, in March of 2014. And so it's been an amazing journey to, to really see what he has done in my life. So he had an altar call um, and I did not go up because I was so afraid. But the next day in a prayer meeting, um, I went up and immediately I was filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And it's been different ever since, you know, and um, I went to college that following year or that year I went to college and it was, it was an amazing time to be there. Um, it was really as if I was in a wilderness for a long time in college because I had a lot of friends in college. I knew a lot of people in our city, but I was pretty much the only one who I knew who was super hungry for revival. So most of the time I just stayed in my room, you know, stayed away from the worldly stuff and just prayed and interceded for revival um, and for the glory of God. And, um, but right after I got saved, my pastors from that church that I went to took me under their wings and they mentored me in ministry and, um, eventually I joined ministry and have been, you know, in ministry since then and um, got the honor of becoming an outreach pastor and a college and young adults pastor, an associate pastor, all these things. And uh, it's just been a, a great journey in the Lord to see, you know, how he can truly bring beauty from ashes, you know, and I, I truly believe that, you know, I'm not the only one out there who has struggled with same-sex attractions who has wanted a way of escape. Um, but the difference is, you know, in my earlier years, you know, people would always, I would always hear from Christians that, you know, uh, being gay is wrong, but no one ever, I never heard any Christians talk about the way of escape, which is Christ. Um, it was only one person who really showed me the way of escape you know, when she was sitting in my bedroom. And so, um, yeah, man, it's it's been a beautiful journey. I'm so excited to be in Christ. And yeah, yeah. that's my, that's so the much. short version. <laughs> that's great, man. I've There's so many questions because um, it's a fascinating story. I mean, first of all, let me just say this. I think this issue is probably one of the most important issues in our time for church yeah. leaders, for just average Christians, you know, like this question of what does the Bible say about homosexuality? What's the actual truth about homosexuality? How yeah. can people be free? Is it even wrong? All of these questions, I think almost everyone is wrestling with some degree, right, in, in, this, yeah. in this time. I recently saw a poll, I think it's from Barna. He was saying 40% of Gen Zers now identify as LGBTQ. Wow. Which is insane. Wow. That is yeah. insane. You know, in um in the article I was reading that quoted the poll data, Barna was saying that not that many young people are engaging in same sex activities, but they will still identify as LGBTQ, right? And mm -hmm. I'm not exactly sure why I could we could speculate, you know, I know that especially for girls, um, you know, you can kind of shift back and forth more so. Right. Like yeah. you could sometimes feel same sex attraction and then that might be a new thing for you. And then you might think, oh, am I gay? Like maybe. Right. And there's a little more fluidity and sexuality um, amongst girls. And so I think a lot of them are starting to identify as LGBTQ. So obviously this is creating like a major need, like the church exactly needs clarity on this issue. So I want to yeah. ask you when you you know it's a it's an awesome story. You got ministered, you got filled with the spirit, you got baptized in the spirit. Did all of your same sex attraction just evaporate that day? Mm -mm. No, it. <laughs> that's the thing, you know, that I've gotten to minister to so many people in that community, and one thing I always say is, don't think you know, everything's just going to go away at the snap of a finger because you're dealing with the enemy right now. And the enemy is known to bring temptation. And so even Jesus in the wilderness was tempted by the enemy, but he did not fall. So the difference is you are, I am not a, um, I'm not a gay man in Christ, but 
the enemy wants to tempt me with my former lust, with my former God, which was homosexuality. Um, and so at the end of the day, we have to distinguish what is temptation versus am I actually this? What is my identity in Christ? Right. Um, so for me, I when I got saved, you know, I didn't I didn't feel a lot of, you know, lust and all these things. I was honestly for a year on a high in Christ. It was it was just me and God and a lot of prayer. But then uh, the enemy started bringing small things in uh, every single day. And, and it turned into something that I'm like, okay, I actually should probably address this because after a year, I thought maybe I'm not saved anymore, you know, because the, the temptations grew strong, stronger and stronger. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, you know, I'm a married man now. Um, and, you know, it's just beautiful to see, even though I went through that, no matter how much I am tempted, because I can be tempted in traffic to cuss somebody out. I mean, some people are terrible drivers, but I'm not going to get on. <laughs> and, you know, but even though I am tempted, that is not my identity. Does that make sense? Absolutely. I mean, I think that that question of identity is really important. So as a pastor, you know, I've worked with a number of people who struggle with same-sex attraction. I've always encouraged them, do not identify as gay, right? Like, mm -hmm. that can't be your identity. Because I, exactly. I, don't ident I don't identify as a pervert, right, even though I struggle exactly. with sexual temptation, right? I don't identify as an alcoholic, right, even though I might get tempted to get drunk or something like that, right? Mm -hmm. you, you, you could say, hey, this is what I struggle with, but that's not who I am. And I think that's a really yeah. important component here, right? Because all the pressure on young people today is if you feel any kind of same-sex attraction, you've got to come out of the closet, right? You've got exactly. to fully identify as gay. And I think that that is like such a trap for young people, right? Because yeah. now it's not just, hey, I struggle with this. It's this is actually who I am. And there's an implicit... You know, uh, there's a there's an implication there. You've got to embrace this aspect of who you are, right? And I thought yeah. that was fascinating in your story where, you know, for you, it, it there's this girl who just said, hey, God, Jesus didn't create you that way. And that was kind of the beginning of pushing back on that embraced identity of who you were. Does that sound about right? Yeah, most definitely. And I, I look at it as, I've always said this when I preach in, in the LGBTQ, but not only that, just anything someone is bound to, but I'll use that for the LGBTQ. Um, there is, I feel like there is this image where, you know, you're not in Christ, you're not saved, but you're in this jail cell and the door is open, but you're surrounded by complete darkness. And for me, the jail cell was open. Um, I was surrounded by complete darkness, but the door was open the entire time I could get out but I needed the light of God to do it, you know? And so my whole life I struggled and I did not know how to escape. But when someone told me the name Jesus, that's when the lights turned on and I could actually see I'm not imprisoned. This is just the enemy's tactics and I can actually get out of here, you know? And so um, it all it takes is the light of God to shine into the dark places. But I truly think, you know, the, the agenda of the enemy in today's world right now is to really bring, I mean, what happened at Sodom and Gomorrah, you know, like a lot of sexual immorality and then God destroyed it. And so I truly think that is the enemy, the enemy's agenda, not only for the world, but for America. You know, America, I truly believe it is going to be a gift to the nations, but the enemy wants to destroy that gift. He wants to take it out. And there are so many young people who have um, amazing callings on their lives, but they they don't they don't have either the mentors or the Christians around them that they need because you know at the end of the day a lot of us people who are calling ourselves Christians in this nation are not actually living in the fruit of God. We have a form of godliness but deny the power thereof, and so it just takes a a, a people to get on their face and cry out to God and say, we need change in our nation. We need the interse intercessors to arise in our nation again. Yeah, absolutely, man. You know, I think um, one of the... 
one of the issues here is there's a couple things. Like you were talking about being in the South and everybody, you know, as you said, like go, calls himself a Christian and all this kind of stuff. I think one of the things that people really struggle with is they feel like they're the only ones who are struggling with their sin issues. Right. Yeah. And in in a lot of the students that I've discipled who struggle with same sex attraction, that seems to be amplified, that feeling of feeling like I'm the mm-hmm. only one that has this crazy sin issues that I'm wrestling with. And you know, I just want to tell people, like, man, everybody struggles. Like for exactly. real. Like everyone struggles. Pastors struggle. Like we we've had all like Ravi Zacharias <laughs> was like sleeping with all these women and all yeah. you know, like high level Christian leaders are struggling with sin, right? And yeah. I, I always try to emphasize this. It's the the key is like they're struggling, right? And yeah. there's a world of difference between struggling and embracing. Exactly. You know, so when I'm I'm discipling young people who are struggling with sin, I'm always telling them, hey, great job, right? Because if you're struggling, that means you're fighting against it, right? That means you're resisting yeah. it. That's a sign that there's faith there, right? And that's the opposite of just I've given up and I'm fully I'm practicing it. That's really what scripture warns will harden your heart, right? The, it'll yeah. harden your heart, the deceitfulness of sin. And so the idea of struggling is a, is a, is a good thing in a sense. I'm obviously not trying to condone sin, but I am trying to say that, look, everybody's struggling with stuff. And I just feel like, you know, there needs to be part of the problem here. This is what I'm getting at. Part of the problem here is the religiosity in churches where leaders feel like they cannot show any kind of struggle with sin, something like yeah. that, right? Like that's that's super damaging. And I know that a lot of people are in churches where leaders don't share what they struggle with, right? There's this appearance that the pastor never sins or like the elders never sin or any of the guys on stage never sin. And really what's going on is everybody feels like this thing where they've got to hide everything. Mm-hmm. And you know what? That's, that's really destructive. And I think that that's really what the world is criticizing you know if i could put this you know in this way like there's this accusation against the church they're all hypocrites they're all doing stuff you know behind closed doors and you know and and they're liars and there is a seed of truth to that i would say right it's not that it's totally true like you can get real freedom and that's kind of the next thing i want to talk about with you like number one how much freedom can you get all right, in this area of homosexuality or any sin issue, how much free, can you get complete freedom where you never struggle with it again ever in your life? So that's p- the potential. And then number two, realistically speaking, how much freedom do you think people often get or is likely to get? Does that make sense? The mm-hmm. two cu- questions yeah. there. Yeah, yeah. It so you will get as much freedom as you, I'll say, spend time with God for. So if you're actively in the word, if you're actively in prayer, if you're actively in the presence of God, you know, in his tabernacle, then yes, you will get freedom and you can, I I truly believe in it. And it's, I, I would say it's different for every person, but for me, you know, I, I spend a lot of time with God and, you know, I'm like I said, I'm married. My wife is amazing. And, you know, but at the same time, there are still days where I tell her, "Hun, I need you to pray for me um, due to either, you know, I'm coming up against a lot of warfare or whatever's going on. And the enemy will bring a lot of temptation. You know, and there, there have been moments in my Christian walk where I'm like, man, this is this is a lot. And it, it wasn't that hard, you know, when I was in the world. Um, but that's what the enemy wants, you know. And so, of course, I must be doing something right if, you know, all these things are coming up against me. But I, I would say for, you know, if someone truly wants freedom, they can experience that. But it, it depends because I've seen a lot of people who I've gotten a mentor or talked to or pour into who have struggled with those uh, with same-sex attractions. They have... Um, I, my first question when I see that they are falling is how much time are you spending with God? Because at the end of the day, if you're not spending enough time with him, if you're just reading a quick Bible verse every day or praying 10 minutes, you might stumble again. And you have to be aware of that. You know, Paul said, um, I pray in tongues more than all of you. And Paul, he didn't struggle with same sex attraction, but he had things that he struggled with. 
So if, if he prayed a lot in the spirit, how much more should we, you know, being even in this age that we are in now where porn and all these things are so easily accessible. Um, but yeah, what was your first question? I forgot. Yeah. How much potential freedom can you get? Like, is it possible? Like, cause I think this is the dream that a lot of people who struggle with sin imagine like they imagine they're just going to get prayed for one day by like some super anointed dude and they're going to fall on the ground and shake for a while and they're never going to feel that temptation ever again in the re for the rest of their lives is that kind of thing possible does that even happen i have had a friend who experienced that they one day they they were in same-sex attraction then one day we prayed and they never experienced it again um, to this day, they're married, you know, to the opposite sex and they still do not experience that. Um, so in them, and I've heard testimonies where that is possible, but I think the, the key is, even if it's not, the Lord always, in every single Christian, he has a process of deliverance. He has a process of holiness. Yeah. And so as, as he wants us to be holy, like he is holy, he will. He knows the best plan for that. So for me, he's allowed me to still be tempted or whatever um, to these things. And he's saying, I'm going to let you go through this for the time being, because it, it and, and I think about Paul, when I think about this, uh, he had thorns, you know. And so at the end of the day, sometimes we have to go through certain things because the Lord will have thorns for us and it will actually humble us or it'll teach us about how to walk in holiness that way. Because sometimes, um, you know, if we get delivered from something super fast, but not really learn a lesson from it, you know, what what's to say we won't stumble back into that later on. But if we actually learn, oh, this is how to break free from it. This is how I can live away from it. Then that's actually a better lesson. Absolutely. And so, yeah, yeah. That's good, man. Hey, DK, I want to share a vision I had when I was in college. Um, when I was in college, I was I was praying, and I had a vision. In my vision, there was a huge pillar in front of me, and on it was written lust. And in my hands, mm -hmm. I had an axe and a hammer. And I was with all my heart, I was trying to destroy this pillar in my life, right? And, um, and in the vision, I'm like, I'm trying to everything I can to destroy this stronghold. That's what it was. And um, after like, you know, a couple minutes, I'm exhausted and I look at the pillar and there's like the smallest little scratch on it. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. like I was not successful at all. And I remember in the vision, I got so discouraged, right? So discouraged. And then, um, and then the camera in my vision started to back up and I started to see that I was in a room filled with pillars, right? There's like so many pillars, right? Yeah. And what had happened, and the Lord started spoke to me out of that, and I was like, Dennis, you're so concerned with this one sin issue, but I see all of your sin issues. Come on. Right? I see all of your yeah. sin issues. You don't even realize all the ways, all the struggles that you have, all the, the, the strongholds, all the things I need to heal, all the things I need to work on in your life. There's so many of them, and you're consumed with this one thing. Right. Yeah. And what he told me there was, Dennis, this is what I want you to do. When you fall to lust, I want I just want you to repent. And I used to repent for like 10 minutes. Right. Like, God, I'm so sorry. I'm never going to do this again. Right. And the Lord said, don't do that anymore. He said, repent for 10 <laughs> seconds. Right. Yeah. Repent for 10 seconds. Right. And then start to declare my love over you. Right. And I started yeah. getting really good at that where I would just, Lord, I repent for falling into this sin and God. I want to live the rest of the day for you, right? That was like a genuine prayer. And I was just trying to declare, and Lord, I thank you that you understand me, that you love me, oh God, that you know me in my weakness and you accept me. I started to declare all this stuff. And what started to happen is I started to get such more consistency in my walk with God, right? Because a lot yeah. of people don't understand a lot of these sin issues, especially sexual sin issues, are tied very closely to shame, right? There's, yeah. It's really a stronghold of shame and rejection, right? And the nature of, of pride is, you know, pride says, hey, I've got to get right before God will accept me, right? I've got to fix yeah. this before God will accept me, right? But the love of God, it accepts us as we are, right? And then it says, as you come to me, I will make you, I will fix you, right? And, yeah. that's a, and that's a very different perspective. And what a lot of people are struggling with is they're really wrestling at the end of the day with shame. They feel like they can't have a close relationship with God as long as they struggle with these things. 
And I just exactly. want, and I just want to say, no, you actually can. You can have a close relationship with God. In fact, it's the drawing near in relationship with God that actually gives you the power, right, to resist that temptation. And that's the that's the thing a lot of people don't understand. Like when you feel like you've got to, I've got to beat this thing on my own before God will accept me and let me be close to Him. You're actually playing into the enemy's hands because that you'll never be able to beat that thing in your own strength, right? Yeah. The way you beat that thing is you come, you draw near to Jesus just as you are, and you let Him right fascinate you in such a way that you actually enjoy being with him more than these things and you know you touched on it earlier but this issue of intimacy right i i, I really appreciate mike bickle and a lot of the guys who are, are preaching this thing like it's not enough to just say no to sin right if if your whole focus on life is saying no to sin it you're gonna lose that battle right your yeah. your focus on life has to be pursuing intimacy with the lord Right. Exactly. As we pursue intimacy with the Lord, the, the all the temptations will naturally decrease. Right. And for sure, we're going to have to make some decisions as the Lord tells us to to cut off some of those things. Right. But the general idea is, if you do, if you just say, if you just try to say no to sin, but you don't really pursue intimacy with Him, you, you're not going to win that battle. That's going to be a, that's a losing battle. Right. Intimacy exactly. is the key that unlocks the grace to be victorious in all these other areas of life. Yeah. No, man, it, intimacy is that key. And unfortunately, a lot of the time, whether, you know, anywhere in our nation, we have so many denominations that don't really teach that. And so a lot of people I've seen, I've seen countless denominations who either teach you need to be perfect or holy and all these things and don't sin at all. And, and but that is not the key because they truly have not had a real encounter with the intimate father yet. Mm -hmm. And so that's why they're living that out. And for me, when I got saved, I went through a lot of, uh, I went to a deliverance ministry and it was actually one of the most beautiful times I've ever had because, you know, we walked through breaking off every stronghold that was in my life, every generational stronghold. And it was something that brought a lot of freedom into my mind because I've learned even in, you know, the same sex attractions that there are the, the thing that is holding a lot of people back is they have the same mindset that they did before they got saved because the Bible says we need Christ's mind. We have them have this mind in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. And so if, if they don't get his mindset and if they don't do that Romans 12, to think and transform their mind, then they're going to still think the same way. They're not going to have that intimacy with God because they are going to, you know, have anxiety from their sin and they're going to have shame and they're going to have pride in their hearts. And that would, I'll raise my hand, man. That was me when I first got saved. You know, I, if I ever fell to anything, I thought I was the worst person. I thought I let God down, but it, it, it came to kind of a similar thing that you had. The Lord said, no, you repent and you get back up, period. But you don't have to do the woe is me act <laughs> because I've, I'm going to forgive you as soon as you ask me. You know? So, good. so yeah. it, yeah. So it's just a place of truly diving into who is God and what is his nature and, and we have so many, you know, false teachers out there now or, or just people who are not even in the church who say, you know, God wants to strike you down. He's this harsh father, but that is not even his character, you know, and they look at the Old Testament as something that God was just so mean. No, God is a righteous God, you know, and so at the end of the day, what does his character look like? And that that's the that's the journey, I believe. For every Christian, whether you struggle with same-sex attraction, whether you are struggling with opposite-sex attraction, whatever it might be, lust, or you steal, or whatever it is, you have to get intimate with the Father and actually learn what His character and His nature is. That's good, man. That's really good. I, You know, I teach um, my students, like, you know, Jesus gives us a standard of forgiveness. He says, if your brother sins against you seven times in the same day— right? But he comes in, into you and repents. You must forgive him. Exactly. Right? And that's crazy because, um, you know, if somebody sins against me, like, maybe two times in the same day, I'll be like, and you repent, I'll be like, okay. Right? But that <laughs> third time, I'm like, you don't really seem sorry. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you don't really seem that sorry. Um, 
But there's a really important principle here, and I, I think the reason why God gives us that standard of forgiveness for one another is because that's the standard that he uses for us, right? Exactly. Like, yeah. He's, he's very willing to forgive a humble heart, right? Yeah. And I think that's that's the issue. Like, if if we're if we're humble, if we're repentant, we wish we we hadn't done this, right? We wish we were different. I think God is so patient with us and so merciful, so willing to forgive, because He understands that we can't just snap our fingers and change ourselves all of a sudden. You know, yeah. He understands it takes time, and He's He's much more patient than we are. You know, like a lot of times we're giving God deadlines like, hey, God, you've got to fix this thing at this conference, right? Or God, you got to fix this thing, you know, this year in my life. Or, But the reality is God is eternal. He's He He takes time with stuff sometimes, you know? Yeah. And I've heard some of those same stories, um, you know, of people getting prayer from somebody and then boom, it's just everything changes, right? And I've had some of those experiences. I call those like breakthrough experiences. Yeah. And and those are those are powerful experiences. But I think it's a mistake to base our entire hope of growth on breakthrough. Exactly. I I think ninety percent of our growth is going to come through process, and that's yeah. that's how it works with God. So I just want to speak, um, you know, to people who are struggling with these types of sin issues. And you're hoping for that one encounter, that one experience, that one conference, or whatever it might be that is going to set you free. Number one, I think that's okay, like, to hope for that and to hope for breakthrough, but not to pin your whole hope in God on one type of breakthrough encounter. Because I promise you, even if you get breakthrough in this area of your life, I promise you there's a lot of other areas of your life that God's going to have to, you know, reveal to you. You still struggle with a lot of other issues, right? And God's going to have to reveal all those things. And most of those things are going to get taken through through process. So I just want to speak encouragement because I know people who have like tried to go to this conference, tried to get prayed for by this guy, and it's like not working, it's not working, it's not working, and that's it. I tried. I tried the Christian thing, right? Mm-hmm. I tried. I And I just want to say like, hey, welcome to the club, okay? All of us exactly. are in this club right? Where we've wanted God to do something in five seconds, right? That have taken other people decades, right? Of process to get to the place of maturity where they are in that area. You know, I remember I once heard a teacher who said, you know, people are always asking me to lay hands and impart my writing anointing to them, you know? And he's like, I've been writing for like 30 years, <laughs> right? They want, <laughs> they want an impartation in five seconds, you know? Yeah. And there's a lot of truth to this kind of stuff. Like, it, it, a lot of aspects of maturity take time and practice, right? And discipline and stumbling and getting back up and running again and all of that kind of stuff. And DK, I just appreciate, you know, your, your message on this because this, this to me is a really important part of this. Like, the answer is don't give up. Right. Scripture says a righteous man stumbles seven times and he gets back up. Right. The idea is not that you never stumble. The idea is that you keep getting back up and you keep pursuing the Lord. Um, Exactly. And on that point, you know, in college, man, I I stumbled multiple times to porn. Um, You know, I was even though, you know, my day looked like. You know, me waking up, I literally got up at 3.30 in the morning. I prayed for hours before I went to class, and but I, I still stumbled, you know. And in those moments, the Lord showed me in a vision uh, during my prayer time one day, he, he showed me that I was, in a, in a sense, a, 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 a toddler or a baby learning how to walk. But every single time he would pick me back up and I would have to do it again. Yeah. Until I learned how to walk on my own. But, you know, even the Bible, you know, and I think it's either Ezekiel or Isaiah says, young men will stumble and fall. But, you know, those who have hope will get wings and mount up on wings like eagles and all these things. So we have to learn at the end of the day, you know, we're going to mess up. It, it's probably going to happen because none of us are perfect. But what are you doing when you mess up? You know, are you... Are you going to the face of the Father and saying, what must I do? You know, how do I get up from this? You know, with, with a repentant heart. Um, but yeah, man, it, it, it truly, we, we all are, you know, those infants and sometimes we're going to fall and, and it's okay, you know, but we don't condone sin. And that's the thing I, I tell my people who I talk to. I say, 
don't allow the sin to be common. You know, don't allow it to be something that you like because God still hates sin. God still wants us to be righteous. But as you said, he's super patient and purification. It is a process. I, I look through the Bible and I see, you know, the, the uh, people in the New Testament, I see all of these people, they went through a purification process. It wasn't some instant thing, you know, maybe some, maybe Paul, you know, but it was still a purification process with him. And, you know, but we live in America and, you know, we can go to a restaurant and get our food in three minutes, you know, and so everyone wants the quick thing, but that's not always the gospel, you know, so yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, a couple questions. Number one. If you're a believer who's struggling with same-sex attraction, like this is a real struggle for you, what would you recommend, right, that they do? Is there a book that they read? Is there, you know, a conference? Like what, take your average Christian who's struggling with this issue, how can I find freedom in this area, DQ? So for me, um, there are, I do know, I cannot remember her name. Um, well, I'll just say this. I am actually starting a YouTube channel in probably a month and it will be on, I'll have a lot of teachings on it, uh, with this area of same sex attraction and gaining freedom. Um, and the YouTube channel will just be my name, DQ Grant Jimerson. Um, so they can go there. Um, I'm not a huge book aficionado, um, even though I have like 500 books. <laughs> People just keep giving me books. So. <laughs> um, but yeah, but I would say there are so many, you know, YouTubers um, I've seen, or just a few actually, who I've seen online who have broken out of that world and have freedom in Christ. So just go on YouTube and type that in. Um, but for me, you know, really, I had to go through a lot of this by myself. I didn't know any other people for the long, for probably six years, maybe five, until I really started ministering in that area um, who had come out of that. Um, and so for me, I, I had to deal with a lot of it by myself. But I'm, I'm, that's why I'm actually starting the YouTube channel, because I want I don't want people to have to go through it alone, for sure. you know, because for me, it was a lot of learning and, you know, okay, this is what needs to happen. This is what. And so I, I'm in a place now where I see, you know, the Lord, he's awakening, you know, a lot of people who have struggled in that area. And um, I know Papa Lou, he, he's had um, a word that, you know, a hundred thousand or was it Bob? Um, was it Papa Lou or Bob? Can't remember, but there's a word out, you know, that a hundred thousand LGBTQs would be saved and give their give their lives to Jesus. So, you know, I'm praying for that on a daily basis. It's awesome, man. Um, practical question. I know that one thing that's really important for anybody that struggle with struggles with sin, especially in the area of shame, it's really important to be able to confess it, right? Because if if it's just if if nobody knows what you struggle with then it really becomes a stronghold of shame. The enemy yeah. just torments you constantly with that thing. It's really important to be able to be open and be like, hey, I struggle with this and you know, I, I need prayer and I need somebody who can you know, love me as I am even though I have this struggle, right? And that's the question that a lot of people who are struggling with all variety of sin issues, right, wrestle with. And so that's always my encouragement to people. If you've never confessed a sin to somebody, you need to do that um, scripture talks about that. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed, right? It's actually an important component of the healing process. But one thing that I have noticed when, it, you know, when we're dealing with same-sex attraction, one of the problems is, um, or potential problems is, if if I'm confessing my sin to somebody else and then, you know, like, would I want to be in a group of men who struggle with same-sex attraction all confessing our sin to one another? As a pastor, I've I've worried a little bit about that because, you know, in some ways I want them I want people who struggle with stuff to have other people who struggle with similar things to be able to commiserate and encourage one another, all that kind of stuff. But there is a danger if you struggle with the same thing, right? It can create temptation. That's true for exactly. almost any kind of sin issue. I don't know. I, I just wanted to ask, do you have any practical advice for that? Like if if I'm struggling with same sex attraction, who should I open up to about this? Yeah, most definitely. 
So if you are struggling with that, but there's no one around you who has lived a life of freedom from it, then I would say really just get ahead of the church and elder or the pastor or whoever, and really begin to be uh, mentored by that person. Um, for me, I didn't have anyone like that. So what I did was my home church, my pastors from there, they became my spiritual godparents. Uh, I talked to them all the time, especially in my earlier years in Christ. I talked to them almost every day. Um, and they would pour into me. They would teach me all these different things. Uh, when I moved, you know, to my city that I was in for a long time, I got a new mentor there at the church that I was a pastor at. And I talked to him every day about issues or whatever, you know, I was going through that day. And, you know, that man, uh, he is a dad to me. He is a spiritual father. He's one of the first father figures that I've ever had in my life. Um, but I would say if they can find someone in their city or in their church who has struggled with that, but has lived a life of freedom for a while, uh, I would say, you know, ask them if they could mentor you. I, I would also be on the caution side as you are. Um, if you see someone who has struggled, but both of y'all are super young in the Lord, yeah, you can, you know, be advocates to one another and you can help each other, but don't tell the, don't go too far in it because I wouldn't want you to, you know, stumble or create something that the enemy, the enemy, he, he's always prowling. So we have to be aware of the times that we're in and we have to be aware of what's going on around us. So um, yeah, but I would most have, I always just try to find someone older who's a lot, a lot wiser than I am because older people are just a lot wiser. So, <laughs> sure. um, you know, and they've lived through a lot, you know, so just find someone who walks in holiness. They don't even have to, you know, have struggled with same-sex attractions because you can find books and, you know, videos online for those things. For sure. Yeah, it, that actually provokes another question because one of the the things that I've seen in ministering to people who struggle with same-sex attraction is oftentimes to me, it looks like there's some type of rejection from a same-sex parent, right? Or abuse in a lot of cases, okay? Yeah. Now, I, you know, DQ, about, this is a long time ago now, about 15 years ago or so, was it that long? Uh, maybe like maybe 10, 10, 15 years ago, I remember I did all this research online and I found numerous studies that showed that there was a link between abuse and same-sex attraction. Um, yeah. In, in, in random, randomized studies, what you'd see is about twice as many people who identify as LGBTQ would report some type of sexual abuse in their lives versus the control group. And what happened in the past six years is those studies disappeared from the internet. It, yeah. was, it was one of the yeah. it was one of the craziest things that I saw as you know a leader of the church. Like I could not find those studies on the internet anymore. Instead, every every point of research on this topic pointed back to studies at like one of the UCs, like UC Davis, or something like that. And and they're all saying there's absolutely zero link between abuse and same sex attraction. And that just doesn't line up with. Yeah. The testimonies that I've heard from lots of people who've struggled in this area and from the data that I saw prior to the scrubbing of the internet and this kind of stuff. So I just want to ask you, do you believe that there is any kind of link there? Yeah, most definitely. I actually totally agree because I studied that same thing and it's not on the internet anymore. So and I've seen it's it's honestly the agenda of the of the enemy. There's this agenda out that they especially, and I hate, I don't want to get super political, even though I love politics, but, you know, it's it's really the agenda of the left is to push that there are, it, it's super normal, all these different things. But honestly, for me, I, I was molested by men. Uh, I did, even after I was adopted at the age of seven, I did not have you know, a male figure. My, my mom was a single mom. She was a single woman who adopted me. Uh, I didn't have super male figures around me and all these different things um, until really, you know, my, my spiritual parents, all of them who have poured into me, you know, they, they've really been the, the, the fathers that I never had. Um, and I've seen countless of times, whether it was being violated 
you know, by the same sex parent or same sex cousin or a same sex friend, or even I've seen a lot of the time uh, in women um, that they, the reason they, you know, go into same sex attractions is of their father figure. They may have had a, a, a father who did not care for them. Um, and we know that the father is crucial for the home, you know, and so a lot of fathers, you know, in our world today, they have um, just been absent in, in their parenting duties and all these things. And so that can also cause, you know, trauma um, and bring same sex attraction to people as well. But it, it is totally a lie if people say that that you know, you're, you're only that way because God made you that way or you were born that way. That is total. God would not create something. And this is the key. You know, God calls that desire an abomination. And so in, in all of that, why would he create a person to be that and, and be contrary to his word, you know? And so there has to be something that happened. And I also even think it, even if something like that does not happen in one's life, there could be generational curses on their bloodline that have caused the enemy to, to do certain things in their blood because um, or in their lives. Because if, if you are not saved, the enemy has legal right to you and, and until those things are broken off of you. Yeah, that's good. That's good. The, one of the reasons why I bring up the, you know, some of those links there is because you mentioned this idea of getting mentors and fathers and mothers. Yeah. I just feel convicted that the idea that spiritual, real spiritual fathering and mothering is one of the great keys in this area, right? Yeah. We have we have a generation. I I just feel like what we're dealing with in our culture right now is the symptoms of a rejected generation, right? A yeah. generation that have been rejected by their parents, right? Either through abortion. Okay, sweetheart. Sorry, that's my daughter. <laughs> <laughs> Either who have been rejected through abortion or through, um, you know, all the development of LGBTQ stuff, or there's like a million different manifestations of this rejection where parents, they don't value their children in the same way on in a general level, right? Obviously, yeah. there's lots of exceptions. But my point is, this is a lot of what we're dealing with, and the answer is that we need the church to arise with the real anointing for real mothering and fathering, right? Exactly. Which is, yeah. hey, like, this this young person has all these issues, Right? They have all these problems, but they're mine. Yeah. But they're mine. I can't get rid of them. I can't cast them off. They're mine. And I feel this sense of responsibility for them. And I'm devoted to them, not just how I can use them to build my ministry or my organization or what I'm doing, but how I can really believe in them and their potential. And I just feel like this is, we have to have this in the church. We can't yeah. have this, this, pattern where young people feel used to build ministry organizations rather than the organizations being used to really pour into young people and love them and care for them and be devoted to them and all this kind of stuff. I feel like spiritual mothering and fathering is one of the keys to deal with this on a national level. Yeah, most definitely. I think also, you know, with that, you know, the Lord says in the word, that he's going to return the hearts of the fathers to the hearts of the children, hearts of the children to the hearts of the fathers. So my godparents did an amazing job because my family, you know, they're not saved. Uh, when I got saved, you know, my family told me speaking in tongues was not of God, you know? So um, my godparents, they would, they would tell me my identity. They would pray for me. They would speak identity over me. And they even taught me, this is how you hear God. You know, and, and and through those tools, through those keys that they they taught me by being on the phone with me every single day, it 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 in me, it put in me something that I never experienced before, and that was identity. And I truly believe the parents are the ones. Here, here's the thing: God creates identity, but the parents are the ones who God uses to instill identity into their children. And so, if it doesn't happen, you know, we're we're all just going to be. We're not going to have our right identity and we're going to be swayed by the identity of the world 
Um, but all of my spiritual parents that I've ever had, you know, in my saved life, they have all done a tremendous job. And, you know, they, they sometimes didn't understand, you know, the temptation of same-sex attraction, but they, they would always take me into the word and show me how, how my identity fit, you know, and how the Lord had created my identity and what purpose he had given, you know. And so it was just, it's a beautiful thing when we really have parents who pour into us. And that's why I tell young people all the time, if you do not have parents or grandparents who can mentor you, find someone in your church who you see has a relationship with God, who, who you see walks in holiness, because you need someone to pour into you. All the greats in the Bible had someone who poured into them, you know, Elijah and Elijah, you know? So yeah. at the end of the day, we all have to find that person and say, hey, I need you to be a covering in my life, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's good, man. Yeah, and I just want to, you know, encourage young people. I know that that's really scary. It's scary, especially when you you have rejection issues from fathers or mothers, right? And it's scary to try and go to somebody and be like, hey, would you pour into my life? And, um, you know, I just want to encourage young people, look, the reality is this. Older people, as I say this now as an older, semi-older person, you know, mm-hmm. like we're all imperfect, okay? None yeah. of us are going to be able to, you know, love you perfectly, but there's lots of older people that have the heart that they want to help, right, in the yeah. ways that they can, right? And um, and I just want to encourage you, like, yeah, that person doesn't need to be perfect. Lots of people think, oh, I've got to ask the past, the senior pastor, if he'll be my my spiritual father or something like that. Um, maybe, but a lot of times the senior pastor is pretty busy, and it's hard mm-hmm. for him to give you the time that would be, you know, helpful for you. Um, but I'm sure there are older brothers in the faith. There are elders. There are, you know, older men that if you see wisdom, if you have respect, you've seen them care for their children well. You know, some of those people can can be um, someone who is a great mother father in your life, right? And I. I personally subscribe to the theory, you know, you can have multiple mentors, you know, you don't have to have just one. I think it's healthy to have multiple mentors because, you know, mentors have different areas of strength that they're going to be able to bless you with. And no one mentor is Jesus who is strong in every single area. (laughs) All right. Well, DQ, I I do want to say anything else that you would like to share on this topic, you know, as we get ready to close up here. Yeah. Um, well, one, I mean, the Bible, like you just said, the Bible says, you know, why is this a man who has multiple counselors? So that shows you right there, you know, that it's okay to, I have eight spiritual parents. So, you know, I, I talk to a lot of people and I have a lot of people in my life who, from all over the nation, who I've seen, you know, have amazing testimonies, but also I just see their life. What? Yeah, some of them have great stature in ministry, but I've gotten to see this person walks with God. And that's what I want at the end of the day. Um, Also, I'll just say, you know, for anyone out there who struggle with same-sex attractions or anything at all, you know, the goal is not to, to, like we said earlier, to walk in shame, but, you know, get help for what you need help with and, and truly seek out the Lord in those things. Because, for me, there were there have been many times in my earlier walk with Christ where I felt like I was just a bad son to God. I felt, you know, just terrible. I felt like I wasn't doing enough. Um, but then the love of God transformed that, and now I'm in a in a place where I don't I don't have to strive. I don't I don't have to work hard to be you know, one of my father's sons, I am a son of God. And and at the end of the day, my identity is not that I'm a pastor or that I'm a great preacher or a great worship leader. My identity is I am a son of the living God. My father has a thousand cattle on a thousand hills, you know, and and that is who I am. I I don't have to strive to be a perfect male. I don't have to strive to be a great husband to my wife. I just have to live with the Lord and allow him to work those things in my life. And and so at the end of the day, I'm praying for all of you out there, whoever's listening, whatever you're struggling with, you know, at the end of the day, just seek out the face of the Lord. And I I, I promise you this, he, he will not let you go. He he says, if you draw near to me, I'll draw near to you. And that's 
that's been one of my favorite verses for a long time. And in my quiet time, I literally just sit there and I just, I gaze at the face of God. And so I pray for you all uh, who, who's been listening. And I just pray that your life with the Lord is exuberant and that you just fall in love with him. That's awesome, man. Diki, thanks so much for coming on. I'd love to have you sure. back on to talk about some critical race theory. We didn't even get a chance to get into that stuff, and I know you got a lot to say on that too. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's gonna be fun. <laughs> Come on, man. That'll be next time, brother. Well, man, yes, I appreciate sir. you so much, brother. Yes, sir. Thanks for having me, man.